Children begin by loving their parents. As they grow older, they judge them. Sometimes they forgive them. Oscar Wilde. Bending Not Breaking, The Dragon Prince Edition. Season 3, Episode 8, Dragon Guard. Welcome back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. This is Ben Pruitt, your host for this mini-series while we are in between seasons of Legend of Korra, which we are on episode eight of a nine-episode season, which you know what that means. That means it is likely that we will be coming back to Korra very shortly, and I'm very excited about that. So I hope that everybody listening to all these Dragon Prince episodes will join us for that as well. Uh, But today we have a really really fun guest. I'm excited to introduce one of our patrons. Uh, Rahul is joining us today. Rahul, how are you today? I'm doing okay. How about you, Ben? I'm, you know, I'm all right. I'm uh, taking part of this pilot program and I just got out of a meeting and it was, it's, it's working out. I'm enjoying it so far. So it's piloting well. I can't really say more than that, but it's neat. Um, uh, But, you know, uh, okay. I've, uh, my co-host has recently uh, been diagnosed with COVID. Um, oh. And so, yeah, Sunshine, for those of you who know Sunshine, had COVID this past week. He is out of quarantine now, thankfully. Um, but that has kind of meant, since we are kind of living in the same house, that means that we have been uh, having to, like, wear masks and do a lot of stuff away from each other. But we've been surviving and we've made it work, and I have successfully avoided it so far. So, um that has been nice but that's kind of what i've been kind of grappling with this past week but um what's kind of on your radar what's 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 good in the world of rahul today or um well yeah um this past week i graduated from my master's program at pitt mechanical engineering um so finishing up my internship then next month i'll be starting a new job somewhere in there i have to um move to a new apartment moving as always so much fun it's the worst Um, (laughs) no it's the worst um but yeah that's that's kind of like the the broad update um yeah (laughs) wow i mean that's a huge transition i'm how are you feeling about it are you are you excited are you nervous are you terrified are you all of the above like what what's the deal to be honest i think i i haven't really had time to process because especially with graduation there's just been a series of tasks that I've just had to focus on in order to make sure that I can graduate um welcome to (laughs) post-graduation yeah so I just need to I just need to create some distance um where I can finally say oh you know this actually happened and is official and that may not actually happen until I get my diploma. So I don't know. (laughs) Otherwise I'm not going to believe that this actually happened. (laughs) Yeah. Yeehaw, man. Well, I am just grateful that you are 
you know, about to go off into the world and, and do things and make the world a little bit better, hopefully, uh, in your work. So congrats on graduating. That's big. Thank you so much. So I was asking patrons if they wanted to join for this season and you said yes. And then you said this episode. I'm curious, like, why this episode? What, what attra- about this ap- episode attracted you to it? Well, when I was watching the show, I've only gone through the show once and all of season three, I thought was incredible. But this episode in particular, um, there's something about those episodes of shows um, where it's it's sort of the, the calm before the storm, yeah. um, not necessarily um, the climax, but um, what precedes the climax. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, in Avatar, you have the episodes before the day of Black Sun, you have the episodes leading up to the finale, which have always really stood out to me as being incredible moments to explore the characters and especially how far they've come up until this point um, yeah. and really reflect on their journeys. Um, and I thought this episode was um, really great. Yeah, I, I think what you see a little bit is how it seems like you really get a chance to dive into the what's going on in their head, right? And so we see exactly. in this episode, we see a lot of dialogue and interaction between Callum and Rayla, and we see what has got them to this point. And we kind of see the the story that they've been telling themselves for so long. And yeah, I, I, I hear you. There's, there's a lot that goes down um, in the quote calm before the storm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Okay. And then you also got to choose the, the lens for the episode. So you chose lineage for the Correct. lens and I'm curious, what is it and why did you choose it? So I think, you know, throughout the show and um, what we see in this episode is that um, one of the core elements that kind of ties a lot of the main characters together is their relationships, um, specifically um, within their own family and with their parental figures. Um, So, you know, in this episode, you have Rayla exploring how she kind of perceives her parents and how they have fulfilled their duty or how she thinks that they abandoned their duty. Um, you have Callum, who, um, you know, over the course of the show, a lot of the focus is on exploring his relationship with Harrow. But another sort of element to Callum's character that he's been exploring is his capabilities as a mage, which are currently and always doubted by others because he's a human and not an elf. Um, You also have Ezrin, where um, I think it's especially interesting this season when you learn that Harrow, even though, you know, we see him in this very altruistic light he has made decisions that have impacted his legacy and have you know taken the world 
in a particular direction that Ezrin kind of has to, you know, comes to come to terms with Harrow's legacy, not necessarily being as, you know, idealized as he may have previously thought and, and trying to move forward from the decisions his father made and take the world in a new direction. Uh, and then I think one of my favorite moments in this episode, and I'm, I'm kind of going through a lot of the moments on like a broad level now, so I'm sorry about that, Brendan Viren. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll leave exploration of that for, for later on. But um, I think Soren's character is incredibly fascinating for me, especially this season and this episode. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me hearing you kind of reflect on all of these different uh i'm going to use the word ties for lack of a better word like what ties us to other people and you know their lineage to me feels like a very um blood oriented word um in the sense that we are how are we related um through the lineage of one thing in our past right and how are we all related to that one thing and so I you know the kind of the way I my schooling has kind of taught me recently uh coming out of divinity school has been like thinking about lineage from a Christian perspective in terms of like oh everyone has lineage back to Adam and Eve right and thinking about how what does it do and I don't necessarily subscribe to that at all but like what does it do when we are all connected to something the further back we go? And what if from this evolutionary standpoint, even we all are evolving from one organism that split off in multiple different ways and mutated in various different ways over the course of a very long history. And yeah, we're kind of related to dragons and yeah, all these different types of elves are related and, yeah, there's just a lot, there's a lot of questions around what does it do when we are, when we see ourselves as connected to other people? Um, and what does it do when we don't? And I think that's, that's right. the question I'm going into this, this episode with. But before we discuss this any further, I have the pleasure of inviting you to <laughs> lead us in a 30 second recap of the episode. Um, it's the great joy of having patrons on as I get to um, subject you to <laughs> the feeling of a 30 second recap. Um, how are you feeling about it? I'm pretty nervous. I'm pretty nervous. I have a couple notes, but like, yeah, I, 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 I don't really know if this is going to work or not. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about everybody's approach. Some people have like full notes and some people had no notes and some people have some. So let's just see how it turns out. All right. Uh, here we go. On your mark, get set, go. The dragon queen won't wake up. Zim is scared. Rail is guilty. Her parents abandoned the, the queen. Soren is saved by Ezra and Callum, and he warns that Viren is on his way. Callum wants to learn how Ibis, the Skywing Elf, can grow wings, but Ibis just has to run away. Callum and Rail fight over, over her refusal to leave. He shows her the truth about her parents. They guarded the dragons from Viren. The groups has, has to decide what to do. Q, should I stay or should I go by the clash? Soren affirms that Viren must be stopped. Group decides to take the final battle. Wow, look at that. 
Nice job. That was with like 1.4 seconds left. That was really nice. Okay. Yeah. It's nerve wracking, right? This is why yeah. I make sunshine do it every time. If only. <laughs> well, cool. All right. So now that we are all uh, fully reinvigorated with the knowledge that we need to uh, take part in this episode. Uh, I want to just kind of let's, I'm going to toss it to you and give you the softball of what is a moment that you want to discuss uh, regarding lineage in this episode? Yeah, I think the most apparent one and, you know, the, the namesake of the episode is probably talking about the dragon guard and, and Rayla's parents. Yeah. And her, journey through the show and through this episode of kind of coming to terms with how she how she feels about you know their role in all of this and and what happened when Viren attacked um the dragon queen and the egg yeah i i'm this is a really interesting thing because I, I struggle with this and I'm going to specifically point to the moment where like Rayla feels tied to the fate of her parents and the judgment of her community of her parents. Right. And so because she is sharing, like she is their daughter, right. Because she is a part of them in some way, she feels responsible for their actions and the judgments of the Moonshadow Elves. And like, it's really interesting to me because Rayla has done nothing wrong, right? She has, especially when it comes to this, the Dragon Guard, right? She has done so many things right. And she has been constantly like living by these values. And then she gets to this point where she feels like she has to stay and like die <laughs> that was like she's willing to die because that's the better option is to die in vain than it is to flee and potentially live and survive another day and that's before she has all the information that she's going to learn soon um but right. it's one of those things where like that to me is like that doesn't seem like a logical decision so i'm curious what your reflections are on, on that yeah and one of the things that I was kind of thinking about watching this time is I don't know how much of Rayla's perception of, of, you know, the guilt she carries around her parents is something that she's discovered about herself or something that has been bestowed upon her by others. Because, you know, we see in, I think it's episode three, um, when she goes back um, to her home, she's ostracized. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, it definitely speaks to, there. there's, we don't know what the response was to what happened with Rayla's parents in her hometown. And there is a decent chance that, um, her parents' perceived failure reflected very poorly on Rayla. And yeah. she may have gotten a lot of flack. And it seems that, you know, when we see her in the beginning of the show, she's kind of on, on rocky ground with the other Moonshadow Elves. 
Yeah. Maybe because of this. And, you know, obviously we don't really know for sure, but I'm very interested to know how much of Rayla's um, insecurity around what happened with their parents is, is sort of come from herself or come from others. Yeah, I, I think what I'm thinking about here is the if you are going through your life with the constant desire and need to prove yourself because of your parents' inability to uh, follow a certain direction or do something a certain way, you are going to be constantly making decisions in order to make up for that. And so you're living yeah. in a mindset, a scarcity mindset from the very beginning of I'm not enough. I have to prove myself. I have to be better than. And what that does to a person is not great. <laughs> like when yeah. people are living in this need to prove, oftentimes that leads to acting outside of values. But it's interesting because what we see Rayla do in season one is that she chooses her values over the, you know, having to prove herself. So it either highlights the, the bravery that, and the courage that it took to step out of that bond that she made, knowing what it would be like, or it points to maybe she thought that would be a redeeming thing that she did once they knew why she made that decision. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's complicated. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah. And I think the bond is a really good point because it's, it's a constant reminder of almost this quote unfulfilled duty. Um, and yeah. it's duty and the most kind of, objective sense I guess where it's duty that is you know given to her that she doesn't necessarily believe in especially after she proceeds on this journey with Calman Ezrin um but this is is this reminder of where she came from and and you know the duty that the moon shadow elves are trying to uphold well and it's just I, I think what I'm because the goal of this exercise, this whole podcast goal is not to be like just full on critical, but also like, why, why is this the way things are? And what can we learn about people when right. this is the way things are? And it, what it, what it's kind of showing me is that we hold people responsible for their lineage, for their, uh, for their ancestry. Right. And that means that we can, use that information to to potentially do better and i'm wondering what that better thing is is it that you know once we know who your parents are we hold you in that light or is it that is the better option to always and you know absolutes are never <laughs> get it absolutes are never uh, a good thing but um sometimes it makes me wonder if when we do we hold individuals as individuals as separate from their lineage as you are not your parents you have your own life you are you and I see the beauty 
in that. And I feel like every time we start to attach ourselves to our lineage, it becomes, mm, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into my history. Um, so it's really, I'm struggling with that. What are your thoughts on that? I think that's a really interesting point, especially given that this is a world and, you know, and this goes for real life too, where many times power is passed through bloodline. And so you have Ezrin and Harrow that like, you know, Ezrin inherits the throne because Harrow had the throne. So there is an inherent kind of mm-hmm. path that power takes that, you know, it, it is like embedded in the, in the system that people follow of, of, you know, civilization. And, and so it's, it's very hard to separate that out. Um, when, when you're, when you're looking at others as well. Yeah. But I also, so on the other hand, so on this, on the first hand, I appreciate being like, I'm not my parents. Don't treat me like that. I'm separate. I'm my own person. But on the other hand, I really love the concept of we're all connected to each other, right? We all have a a shared lineage in some way, shape or form. And that really is something that I buy into because what it does is it forces me to reconcile our differences and say, how can we work together rather than, nope, I am an individual and you are separate from me. And so I feel more comfortable creating walls that separate us, right? Whereas if we're connected, I am uh, compelled to take those walls down. And so there's this invitation for lineage for me to how do I honor that while also honoring it's this paradox, it's a paradox, right? I want to honor the individual and I want to honor the lineage as well. And I want those two to, to play well together. Um, yeah. And what we're seeing is it's very complicated in this episode. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 And I, I think that um, that makes, that's what makes relationships like Callum and Harrow so beautiful because there isn't that blood relation, but there's still every bit of that that love and that wanting to carry on that lineage and legacy um, from one generation to the next yeah well and again it's for me if we if we use the metaphor of like authorship right it's i i have not held the pen uh for my for everybody who came before me but now i do hold the pen And so I get to change the direction of the story, right? I get to author my portion of it. And while I need to remember the history that has come before me, otherwise the story won't make sense, right? I want to make sure I'm carrying elements of that, but how do I live in this redemptive model of, and and at the same time, I don't want to always have to redeem everything that was done Right. It, and it's this really, cause I, that makes me think about like um, race and reparation and things like that, right. where when it comes with uh, me being a white person, a white male for that, uh, thinking about the history of my lineage and what my, white people have done over the history is atrocious 
And if I'm like, I'm my own person, I have nothing to do with that. It causes a lot of problems. So I can't just disown that and separate it and say, I'm a new person. I have to honor what has been done and what has come before me, but that doesn't mean I have to take part in it. Right. Right. It doesn't mean I have to act uh, in a way that continues that story. I can change that story and use my actions to do something different. And at the same time, it's really hard because there are certain things that my parents have done or great grandparents have done where I'm like, I'm not going to include that in my story. I'm (laughs) that's a hard boundary. That's that's not continuing with me. (laughs) And so again, it's, it's complicated. It's tough. I've been talking a lot. What are, what are your thoughts? There's, (laughs) there's, There's a lot going on there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think as we relate it to the episode, we see Rayla sort of take it upon herself to um, sort of redeem her parents mm-hmm. um, through her own actions and her own sacrifice, um, which is something that Callum kind of chews her out for, um, even though, you know, I, I can totally um understand where she's coming from um because you know she has has internalized this so much that she thinks it's it's you know her her responsibility to make the sacrifice because her parents didn't even though they actually did well and and that's where i'm sitting here like i'm i'm callum in this situation i'm like you have no reason to do anything in this moment you get to make your own decision and you do not have to make up for your parents fault in this mistake right yeah. you doing that serves no good purpose other than like when that's what he called he's like this is your this is pride this is yeah. uh, ego this is pride and it's one thing i think to honor uh the lineage when the outcome makes sense but for me like doing it just to do it or to do it for that just for that sake seems um like it's missing something oh yeah absolutely absolutely and that's where you know when when Callum is able to show her the truth and she's able to get a full picture yeah um and then they can make the decision whether to stay or go, um, you know, and it, it's, it's more separated from that sense of um, responsibility yeah. over a parent's failure. You know, I, I think that's. I think the question though is let's assume for just a moment that Rayla's parents were, you know, the cowards she calls them. And she, and they, they ran away like that Skywing elf and, you know, Viren was left to just come in. Right. And let's say he just wasn't planning to kill it. He was planning to take it all along. Right. It's one of those things where I'm sitting here going like that probably would have convinced Rayla that she needed to like double down on her thoughts versus this story that freed her from it. And I think my assertion is that, no, you still don't need to double down. <laughs> um, but it's interesting how people are so attached to 
the things that our parents have done or the things that whatever we are a part of identity wise have done. Um, it's really fascinating. So I think that that's an interesting point. And I mean, hopefully this isn't going too far off the tracks, but if Callum had seen it, because, you know, he, he looked at this vision himself. Uh-huh. If Callum had seen, oh crap, Rayla's parents did actually run away. Would he have showed her? I don't know. Good point. <laughs> Who knows? Um, know. Yeah, because I, I feel like it's one of those things where maybe the uncertainty around what happens is better <laughs> than knowing for sure um, if, if the answer is what you're afraid of. I would like to think that he would share, but yeah, I don't know. Cause I know we know how important this is to her. Um, yeah. but I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. He wouldn't, he wouldn't need to explain breaking the, um, the pendant, the moon pendant. That's true. That's true. Interesting. Let's talk about Callum for a second. Can we, can we shift yeah. from Hello to Callum? I'm curious. I'm, I've been thinking about this for a minute and thinking about, um humans and magic and there's been tons of theories on reddit and the dragon prince community on facebook and all the things where like who is callum's mother right and um or rather who is callum's father sorry um and thinking about like is callum's father an elf does that or does that like just defeat the purpose of a human doing magic and why like why are we like entertaining this and that's why it wouldn't be nearly as cool if Alan or if Callum had elf blood but it raises the question right of right what is right. Callum's lineage and was his dad uh, a, a a mage of some sort or did he have some sort of uh magic uh influence um who knows but it's it's a question that's worth asking there what are your thoughts on that yeah, uh, I actually ha- haven't thought about that that much. Um, yeah, wow. Um, it would be interesting if his father had mage capabilities. I don't know how I would feel if his father were an elf, because I, I do really like the storyline of, of him kind of combating his own expectations as well as others' expectations about what his capabilities are. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that sort of retroactively going back and saying, well, his father was an elf, would kind of undo some of that. Um, I agree. Depending on how they go about it. Um, but yeah, I... I I can't believe I hadn't really thought about that that much. Um, it would, yeah. I'm, well, I would be surprised if we didn't learn more about that as the show goes. Oh, I'm almost certain we'll learn more. It's just, it's a matter of how and when and what. Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I would be shocked if we didn't learn who Callum's father was eventually. Because um, that's been a question from the beginning, like episode one. We're like, okay, we know that this is a different dad. Who was his dad? Like that's the one of the first questions, but this, this fact that, that he is, and let's assume his, his father is human. The fact that he is acting in such a way that defies his lineage is really interesting to me. Right. Where 
oftentimes we uh, lineage is like seen as something where it is valuable to live into your lineage. Uh, Rayla is the opposite of Callum in this respect. Rayla is trying to live into this story of her lineage and trying to live into the honor of what it means to be a moonshadow elf that honors her responsibilities. Whereas Callum is kind of the opposite of, I am a human mage and no other humans have been able to do this before. So I'm kind of pioneering this new thing in order to reshape uh, what humans can do. And I find that to be really interesting too, as a as a storyline to think about how on on both sides of it, I want to bo- again honor what has passed, but also like show that we don't have to live by what has been before us too. And I yeah. think what we get from Callum thoughts. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's interesting because. Um... I think it almost brings up this idea of, you know, appropriation almost where you know, I wrote that down. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we, we kind of see that in, in the beginning of the next episode where, you know, he's, he's painting this, these symbols on his arms. And it, for, to me, that, that kind of gave like a very like cultural kind of vibe. And yeah. I don't want to go too far into that. Uh, the next episode, but um, it's it's an interesting thing where I, I, you know, I have full faith that Callum is the type that, in however he approaches learning these skills from other elves, he's going to do it in the most respectful way possible. Yeah, but it is like looking at from the elves perspective there there might be a certain amount of like trepidation that they feel mm-hmm. around this human that's coming in and saying like well i'm going to learn how to fly um which is an ability that's learned by a very select few yeah skywing elves yeah well and i think that's what's so interesting for me is let's go into the lineage of these skywing elves right like one in ten are born with wings and then even fewer still have the capacity to do the magic that allows them to transform in a way that allows them to have wings and that to me seems like a like ibis was like this is a that's kind of a big deal (laughs) and like uh the fact that there is such pride in that kind of lineage and that skill and that capacity and the fact that callum is going to come in and like hey teach me right (laughs) yeah and i I think that's uh, i i recently took part in an appropriation workshop around spiritual appropriation and what what how do we avoid spiritual appropriation right and um I think one of one of the things that we need to kind of think about there's three three main pillars and there's kind of sub pillars but one is like education what is our understanding of the original context of this practice and Callum you know has been given a little bit of information but he only has this little bit of information before he starts trying it right the next one is relationship has this been given to us or is this something we are taking Yeah. And in a way, Callum is taking this information, right? Uh, It has not been, it hasn't really been freely given to him. 
Um, and that to me borders on, this is kind of, it's leaning into this appropriation, right? Appropriation yeah, of skill, sure. appropriation of, of magic. And like, that's, that's getting awkward now. Um, and then the next one is, uh, like thinking about power, right. And who is benefiting from it. Um, right. so when Callum takes this magic, who's benefiting from it, it's like, Callum is like it's not benefiting yeah. the larger community it's benefiting Callum um and frankly it's benefiting you know Rayla <laughs> spoiler alert uh, <laughs> yeah I was gonna but, say uh I, it, as a general rule I'm, I'm lifting this up because it seems like this is borderline appropriation and I'm really glad that you lifted it up because I I think about like the lineage of things being passed down and when things are okay to, to practice and do, and then when things are not. And I am going to step aside from that and just talk about this from looking at it from another angle and say, I also don't blame Callum because Callum is doing things one to literally save people (laughs) like he is doing this not only out of his own personal desire but he's like going to save another person Um, but aside from that I also think about the power dynamic and I think that's what makes it okay for me is this one human who no humans have access to magic at all aside from Callum without some sort of tool. And if they do, it's dark magic. Yeah. And this whole race of elves that have this capacity, um, maybe, or maybe not. And then Callum is able to come in and do this. So I don't know. I I really struggle with this as an appropriation question because it seems like the power imbalance makes it seem like, I don't know that I mind Callum having this ability. Um, So that was a complicated series of (laughs) thought conversations, but yeah. Yeah. I I don't think there's a right answer around that. Um, Especially since, you know, it, it also makes me think of, you know, drawing the connection to Avatar. The Avatar obviously has an understood duty to learn all of the elements. Yep. But one of the things that I'm most interested in that universe is like the, the cultures that are tied in with each element and yes. how does the Avatar navigate that um, yeah. as they go through their journey. And we, and we see... Um, we see, you know, Aang and, and Korra respond very effective journeys. Um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of see a similar thing with Callum here where he's, he sees learning this, these skills in part because it's something that he's good at and enjoys, but there's also like a very like, he is trying to help save the world and yeah learning these skills definitely helps in that yeah and i am definitely not going to presume that we're going to solve this problem right now and we're going to solve the problem of appropriation right here right <laughs> yeah <now>. Um, <laughs> but I, I i think it is worth lifting up the question and i would love to hear from other listeners that have more insight into this concept and thinking about like how do you how do we feel about this um would love to hear about that uh but Let's go, can we, can we switch tax again? Oh yeah, yeah. 
Um, I want to talk about Zim for a second. Yes. This was a really heartfelt moment for me where Ezrin and Zim are about to go into the queen's chamber and Zim is like, no, thank you. I'm not ready. And, you know, we hear kind of Ezrin translating that for us, but I found that to be really interesting in thinking about this separation of lineage also, and thinking about who we are in relationship with versus who we are tied to by blood. Um, And it reminded me of like adopted children who end up having the opportunity to meet their bio parents. And, you know, Zim thus far has been raised by Callum, Rayla and Ezrin and for like from their, from, (laughs) from cracking open that egg, like that's been, who's been taking care of him. And Zim is at the point where he's going to meet bio mom and, I don't know what that means in terms of what, what does, does Zim feel ownership in terms of being bonded to this or does Zim like, no, I prefer this, this group of people. And when you uh, extrapolate that to like adopted children, it's really interesting to think about how some adopted children are like, nope, you were just the person who bore me and I really have no connection to you and no desire to have any connection to that because I don't, I don't need that in my life. And then there are some who are like, but what about who I came from and where I came from and really want that story to be tethered to. And so that was something that came up for me. What are your thoughts on this moment with, with Zim? So it's really interesting that that's the perspective you had watching because what I thought of, um, during this is, you know, when, when animals and, you know, when, when any being is born, typically there's, uh, they, they imprint on, on yep. whatever parental figure, um, is there. In this case, I would believe that, uh, it would be Ezrin with, with Zim, because it seems like they, they have the strongest relationship. Uh, however, I will say that, um, it seems to be that dragons have some sort of identity and consciousness, even before they hatch, you know, Zim knows his name. Yep. Um, so it could be that there's a middle path between both, like this sense of like imprinting and identity and, and sense of relationship based on that and the sense of like as as you mentioned um biological versus adoptive um relationship and it could be a middle path between those um that makes this a very confusing time for him yeah and i I think that's again it's pointing to this paradox of its nature and nurture right And it's, it's not one or the other, it's both. And how do you hold them in conversation? And sometimes nurture has a greater um, influence on us than does Nate, the opposite of what I said. <laughs> Nature <laughs> and nurture have different influences and they need to be balanced. And um, it's interesting to think about, right? Because this, this moment with Zim kind of highlights that of even though we have this long line of, of people when who we are in relationship with matters a great deal also. 
Um, so yeah, I, I find that to be really curious. I'm curious yeah. Yeah. And, um, one thing I also thought of was, um, in the last episode, I think it was the last episode or the episode before, um, he sees his father, um, who's been, who's been frozen. And I can only imagine how traumatizing that is. So coming right off of that, like, I don't there know. Might be a certain hesitation to say like, what state is my mother going to be in when I see her? Yeah. Can I, can I handle this again? Yeah. I'm curious about that because I don't, we also see him and Ezra and like playing and like really like, you know, reconnecting in the shadow of, uh, in the shadow of thunder's statue. Right. And I'm sitting here going like, that's a tough scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, This is the site at which Harrow kind of gave in to his hatred and his dark and this, this dark magic. And this is kind of like what sealed Zim's fate in the same yeah. time. And it's like, here we are with these two children of them playing together. And like yeah. that, that was a, a really complicated scene that was done Absolutely. really well i thought but yeah i it, it, to me it almost didn't seem like zim even registered what what was going on mm-hmm. um in that moment but i don't who knows maybe maybe he yeah. was distracted a little bit but yeah um what else other moments that you want to talk about in this episode um well i mean i think the biggest one for me is probably Soren and Viren, but I don't know. We've talked about that. We should talk yeah. about them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about it? So I think that, yeah, this season, especially Soren, um, has a tremendous amount of growth. Um, and as uh, I think it's you and Kelly uh, discussed, um, it comes from this moment where he, Viren, essentially decides to fracture this relationship with Soren. Mm-hmm. Instead, saying, okay, we need Claudia later on. Um, and we don't necessarily need Soren. Yeah. And so then from that moment on, Soren has kind of been on this trajectory of, of um, leaving Viren. And I think that for me, uh, the the point of no return and the moment that really like seals this this um, turn is not when he leaves Viren and not any moment of confrontation with Viren, but it's his moment with Claudia last episode oh, because because they they they've been in this together and obviously their relationships especially this season have have diverged more because they each have a very different relationship with Viren. I think a lot of it has to do with Claudia's abilities to to perform dark magic yep. that like facilitate this connection and also her usefulness to Viren more on a more darker note. Um, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know 
we see in 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 a few shows, you know, Legend of Korra, you have um uh oh god, um Tarlock and um Unalak. No. Uh, and Amon. Amon. Um, yeah. What's a, I, Noah I Talk. Noah Talk, thank you so much. Um where you have a parental figure that is creating this wedge between the children. Yeah. One of them leaves, and then the other is like incredibly betrayed by this. Um, this is obviously very different circumstances. Um, where, but I think it's also similar in the sense that when Soren leaves, that's also a turning point for Claudia, where ah. her only point of support and I think yeah her main point of support in essentially dealing with Viren's abuse um, is gone and so she has to kind of deal with this on her own yeah and I think she kind of takes that and almost like fully commits to Viren yeah, I, I think what I I recently read an interview uh, with um, Justin Richmond and Aaron Eaz about Claudia, and uh, it was essentially saying that, like, yeah, Claudia in that last episode, spoiler alert, like, has gone on, done, done some dark stuff, and they're like, yeah, and it's it's only going to get worse, <laughs> and it, but but it's but what makes Claudia complicated is that she is doing this out of love and love is her, her motivation, which is really fascinating because what she has done in that episode is like, well, uh, we'll talk more about that next episode, but um, it's interesting to me because everything that she has been doing thus far has been out of love. It's always out of love. And what I think allows her to continue to stay with Viren is that she believes that Viren is doing this out of love also. Yeah. She believes that he genuinely believes in all of the lies (laughs) that she that he is telling her and telling the world and telling everybody. And it's really interesting to me because we see the complicated nature of Viren here also when he's talking to Erevos. Because Erevos in, I think, the prior episode was also like, <laughs> so you're trying to conquer the world, right? And he's like, no, I just want humanity to have the best stand, best possible situation. And Erevos is like, so you're going to conquer the world, right? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> right. So it's almost like he's lying to himself yeah. about his desires and goals as well. And I think the fact that he is lying so well is enabling Claudia to buy into this. And yeah. the fact that Soren was used, saw what was going on and saw this manipulation because he got to personally experience the manipulation. That's what enabled him to go and step away. Yeah, and and you can't, I'm sure it's heartbreaking for him to see what's happening with Claudia because this kind of manipulation is not something that can really be broken from the outside. And you can't brute force 
someone's like realization that they are being manipulated. Um, Cause typically what's going to happen is like, if you try to convince someone, they're going to like, they're going to delve deeper into the manipulation because if the person it's, doing the manipulation and like Varen is, is good at what they do, it's, it's, you know, quicksand. But again, the benefit of the doubt here is I, I am constantly doubting Viren because I'm sitting here going like, no, this is intentional. No, this is intentional. But then this, that moment with Erebos really made me question that where he's like, no, this is for the good of mankind where he, he's genuinely bought into this complete lie that he's telling himself, but yeah. he's bought into it. Right. He believes that what he is doing is going to benefit the world and benefit humanity. And right. we see this uh, gradual slippage from all of these memories that we've been watching over the past couple of seasons where he's going back to the Magma Titan, going back to uh, Sarai, which that's complicated. Uh, but yeah. like going back to all of these moments where we see it getting progressively worse. Um, and we see him continue to buy into it from all of these things. And the, the problem for me is how do we have conversations with people who genuinely believe that what they're doing is the right thing to do when it is so clearly not the problem is they believe it. They are so bought into it. Um, and this is the same question that I, whoever I might say that is are having about us, right? And that makes it really difficult to have these conversations is yeah. uh, how do you, and I think that's, that's the underlying question is how do you have a conversation, a, um, a generous assumption conversation of, hey, I believe that you believe what you're saying and I think we need to talk about the methods that we're utilizing and why that's not going to work. Um, because this is what's coming down to why it's really difficult for Democrats and Republicans to have conversations. It's coming down to why, you know, all of these various dichotomies that exist, especially in the United States, they exist worldwide, but especially in the United States right now. Um, that's the fundamental question. And I yeah. had a good answer. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's what made Harrow and Viren's relationship so interesting. Mm -hmm. um, because they were kind of on opposite ends of the spectrum in that regard in many ways. Um, but they had such a, a close relationship um, that, you know, especially towards the end was starting to somewhat show its cracks. Well, I think that's what's interesting is they they disagreed over small things at first and eventually the divide grew and grew and grew to the point where like Harrow was like dark magic is the worst. Yeah. Because he started to see what it was doing. Whereas Viren was like, this is what has enabled us to get this far in the first place. Exactly. So it's yeah. all about the story we tell ourselves about the lineage that we have received. Right. right. Um, that I, that's, that's what I'm coming down to is how do we, how do we tell the story in a way that, helps us help each other right absolutely yeah so, yeah yeah okay we've been we've been going we have had talked several things uh are there are there other things we need to make sure we hit on before we transition um let's see um 
well, I mean, it's not really featured as much at the forefront of this episode, but um, you also have Ezrin trying to move forward from, from Harrow's legacy. You know, we talked a little bit about how Harrow kind of gave in to his hate. Um, yeah. And kind of set the stage for a lot of the the tension we have now, especially mm-hmm. centered around Zim, because it's this his decisions that led to the egg being taken, um, yeah. and Zim's parents being sort of taken out of commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and Ezrin is trying to come to terms with that. Um, and move forward in a way that is, you know, best for everyone. Yeah, and we we see him going through that basically this whole season, right? As yeah. as he steps onto the throne, as he grapples with you know Kasif, and then as he decides to abdicate and let Viren take over, um, it's a really a series of how do I be different and live into my values and stop exactly. the cycle, so to speak. And then when he chooses to get here, he's really living into how do I protect, right? That's like his value is like, this is something we need to protect, right? And yeah. Like, and I, we just see him continually choosing his values over his lineage, right? And I think that that's something that's really admirable. Um, and, and, and I think that there are some times where it's admirable to choose lineage over value, right? And I just, I, I'm, I'm really curious about, again just how complicated it is to have a lineage that is counter to our values and then how do we grapple with it right right and i'm sure um a really difficult point for him because he's still a child is that like in learning these things about harrow harrow is no longer there to both counsel him and also to sort of discuss these decisions and and learn more about what was going on. He he can only um, sort of match these decisions up with the internalized object he has of Harrow in his head based on when he last knew him before he passed away. Um, And that is incredibly difficult to do because uh-huh. this internalized object is based on all your projections of this person. Exactly. And not necessarily the objective view of the person themselves. Well, and that's the same thing with Rayla's story, right? All she had was exactly. the story yeah. people were telling about her parents, not the actual story. Um, and so again, I feel like when, when is it not a good option to be generous with our stories? I don't know. I but, but I yeah. um I'm I'm thinking more and more that that's kind of the takeaway here is how do we be generous with the stories if they're yeah. um not shaping us in a way that we would like. Right. Right. Hmm. All right. Uh I am going to give us a, a short break. We're gonna bring on the music and uh, let them tickle our listeners' ears for a second, and then we'll come on back for our couple final of segments. All right, here we go.
All right, welcome back. Thanks for enjoying that little musical interlude. We are about to dive into our final couple of segments, and I'm excited because we've had polls on our uh, Lens MVPs and our Patreon and our Facebook group on who has won for our nominations. And so far, I am 0-2 to the patrons, which is somewhat frustrating. Uh, We'll see if that continues after this. Um, But what we have is Lens MVP. So Rahul is going to nominate someone a character from this episode for who he thinks the lens mvp is and remember remember everybody our lens for this episode is lineage and i'm interested to see where you take this rule what what are you who are you nominating for the lens mvp around lineage uh i picked soren because i think throughout this season as we mentioned um, and especially this episode, he has had to come to terms with his relationship with Viren. Um, and you know, as you mentioned uh, in your episode with uh, with Jesse, the voice actor for Soren, um, this his relationship with Viren is really based around his desire for Viren to love and accept him. Yeah. And he has realized that he can't make that happen. And if it's not like in Viren's nature to do so, it's really not going to happen. And as we see at the end of this episode, he goes as far as to say that Viren is evil and needs to be stopped. He yeah. he is the Ultimate determining villain. factor. Yeah, he's the determining factor in the group to stay and fight, which I think is incredibly important um, and noteworthy because, again, this is his father. Um, and to be able to um, s- sort of look back and and reflect on how Viren has manipulated him to make decisions outside of his own value system and look forward and see like he's on a trajectory now that like if we run this is not going to stop yeah and so I really I really appreciate Soren's growth to this point to be able to acknowledge where Viren is at um, yeah. and, and the nature of their relationship as yeah. father and son. And that's something that we didn't really talk about when it comes to lineage that I find really important is oftentimes we turn to lineage when we are feeling like we don't belong anywhere. Oftentimes that we, we believe that lineage is the place where we belong because of that, that blood tie. And I think that's what makes leaving Viren so hard is like, no, this is where I belong. This is my, this is my people, right? This is my family. This is like who I am tied to in a very uh, literal way. And that belonging was abused right and that's what makes it all the more tragic when lineage becomes complicated right yeah (laughs) and and, right yeah and even when he leaves claudia as well claudia is someone who loves him yes and you know goes 
to extreme measures to save him um, and protect him. And so, yeah, yeah, it's it's incredibly hard to reconcile that. Yeah. So um, if I were to put that into a headline for you, I'm hearing that Soren is your nomination because he is reconciling the difficulty of his lineage with his values to do the right thing. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really great way of summing it up. Okay. All right. So we've heard Rahul's nomination. Again, uh, I'm 0-3 and, and I'm not salty at all, or 0-2 and I'm not salty at all. That was not a Freudian slip. I am <laughs> hoping to win after this episode's poll, but uh, I'm going to nominate Rayla. And Rayla is all kinds of tied up in her lineage this episode and really attached to the story of her parents and not just the story of her parents, but also the culture of Moonshadow Elves. And I think that's part of her lineage too. And I, I think that the, the story that her culture has weaved for her and raised her in to view her parents a certain way, the attachment to her parents because they're her parents. And it's, it seems like she is really gripping both of these things really hard, um, both of these attachments to culture and to parent. And she's trying to make them work. And she feels like this, this constant need to defend and make them um, to, re to redeem her parents, right? And in the eyes of her community. And on the other hand, we see her choosing her values. And for a very similar way to you and nominating Soren, I feel like she is reconciling how her values need to live into um, this conversation. And I think what makes it really complicated is that she's, this is the first time she's been so proximate that we know of to the location where her parents made this happen. And right. so I think that's why she's so all up in her feelings right now and all up in this story is because this is the place where it happened. Um, like talk about the lineage of like visiting. It's, it reminds me of like visiting, like taking pilgrimages to visit the places that our ancestors have visited and really kind of leaning into like the spirituality of being connected to the same place in the same location that our ancestors have been a part of. And yeah, I, I think that her coming here was difficult and that was something that was not necessarily said aloud. Like just being in this place is hard for her. Oh um, yeah. I'm until sure. Callum shares the real story, right. Of, of what happened. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think that's the reason is because she's all up in her feelings about this. And uh, it, it's because it's, I, if I were to be frank, I think Soren is on the other side of grappling with this and she's still in the middle of it. Um, yeah. And maybe not on the other side, but certainly over, like he's been going uphill and has now like plateaued slash about to go downhill in terms of understanding where he is. Whereas Rayla's like at the peak in this episode. Um, so I'm just going to, you know, slightly elevate her above Soren for that reason. Um, so <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm inviting everyone to vote either in our Facebook group. If you're, if you haven't joined us, uh, feel free. It's, it's open to everybody. 
Um, and then also on Patreon, if you're a patron to, to vote there, we'd love to, to see the poll in your response. Um, so those are our two. Feel free to vote for either Soren or Rayla, or if you feel really uh, gutsy, you can nominate someone yourself in the poll and we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, I digress. Um, you can also find us at Bending Not Breaking. You know, that's, that's how you find us or BNB underscore pod for Patreon. Gratitude, gratitude. It's time for gratitude, my favorite. All right, Rahul, who are you grateful for? I'm grateful for Ezrin. Um, both for some of the subtextual elements we talked about and him sort of trying to um, move forward given what he knows about Harrow's legacy, but also more directly in the episode, he shows very little hesitation in helping Soren, who is someone that like, as obviously they feel betrayed by based on his previous actions and and you see with with Callum and Rayla there's a hesitance to help him and then when they see him yeah. um Ezrin says something to the effect of just like you know stop talking help him he's he can't breathe and then Callum's like okay yeah right you're right and then helps him and then they give Soren the chance to explain himself and I just find that so uh amazing that that Ezrin just has this presence of mind to say like, all right, like just, you know, don't question it, help him. Yeah. Priorities first people. Let's keep them yeah. alive. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I, I, I love that kind of people first mentality that we get from Ezrin and not just people first, but like life first yeah. is Ezrin's kind of mentality of what is most sacred. Right. And I, I really appreciate that from Ezrin because we learn a lot from Ezra over the course of the show about, about the sanctity of life. And I really appreciate that from him. So yeah, I'm grateful, I'm grateful for that as well. Um, I am going to pick Amaya and this is not necessarily for something she did consciously, but rather something she does just by being herself and by living into her values over time. We see, her slowly build a bond with Janai um, over the course of this season, uh, being in captivity. Um, but also this whole time she was living by her values, right? She was, she stood up to Janai and said, nope, I'm going to blow this up so you can't get across. And then, nope, I'm going to tell you everything that's wrong with Fearon, and I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to hold your hand down, even though it burns me. And then she's just this series of her living into her values and choosing herself and really, um, nurturing that integrity that's within her to the point where because of her actions the entire sunfire elf army is at this at dragon spire uh ready to defend it and um i think that it's because of amaya that all of that was able to happen and i'm just i'm really grateful that you know she found um she's able to kind of lead just by being herself. And I think that's why people yeah. follow her and why she probably ranked up really high. And, and that's why she is who she is. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, I'm sure everybody's looked this up, but I also love this, this moment that she has with Janai and sign language that she's like, she doesn't know it yet, but 
<laughs> she thinks I'm pretty cute also. So, um, <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I digress, but I just, I like Amaya. I'm, I really found her in this episode, even though it's very minimal to be a guiding light, so to speak. Oh, yeah. Wow. A lot happened in this episode. Yeah. I think I say that a lot, but a lot did happen. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me. This has been a a real pleasure and a treat to have. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, For everybody who's listening, we are on all the platforms, uh, social media wise. We are bending, not breaking or BNB underscore pod, Twitter, Facebook. We'll tweet at you if you tweeted us. same thing on Instagram generally uh, we'll, we'll, we'll handle that. And then we're on Facebook pretty often. Um, if you join us on Patreon, you can join us for live episodes every month, which are super fun. Uh, we will be continuing uh, spoiler alert for our patrons uh, continue with book two of avatar and the last airbender, starting with episode one this month of season two. So very exciting. And uh, Rahul, how would you want uh, people to find you if you so want that to happen? Or do you want that kind of attention? What's your thought? <laughs> I, I mean, if people would like to find me, I'm only I'm mainly active on, on Instagram, I think. So you can find me at uh, R-A-D-O-R-A-S-W-A-M-Y. That's R-A-D-O-R-A-I-S-W-A-M-Y on Instagram. Um, yeah, that, that, that would pretty much be it. Nice. Well, great. Well, we can find you. Uh, we have a really great uh, episode that you all got to enjoy with Rahul. So even if you don't find him on Instagram, you can always just re-listen to this episode again and again and again. Um, <laughs> uh, but that is uh, everything. But I've I've asked our I've asked Maggie and Kelly uh, what their kind of favorite perk was on Patreon. I'm curious if you have one that has kind of stuck out to you as well. Uh- it would definitely be consistent with them and in being the live episodes. Those are a ton of fun. Um, definitely something to look forward to each month. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to get into book two. Yeah, awesome. Well, this has been a wonderful episode with Rahul. Thank you so much for joining us. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. And until next time, be well and do good. <laughs>